If you would this evening with me, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As we return to this letter, we return to a tough doctrine. This is on the doctrine of tongues. And the Apostle Paul saw fit to give a lengthy discussion in this letter to the Corinthian church on this topic of the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, little did he know, even after the mentioning in church annals of this gift, in fact, there's very little evidence to suggest that the gift of tongues was practiced in the church from the days after the conclusion of the book of Acts up until the 1700s. Little did Paul know that 1,700 years after he would write this letter, this gift would once again be a controversial one and continue to be so for 300 years. But what do the scriptures say about tongues? This is perhaps the most extensive teaching on tongues in all of the scriptures. And we'll look at it tonight, particularly in light of the early church, the church in Corinth, as God used that tongue or that gift of tongues, as a miraculous or powerful gift to show that the Holy Spirit had come upon the people. Follow along as I read from 1 Corinthians 14, the first 25 verses. Bear with me, it is a rather lengthy passage. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, 
but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. As we consider this teaching of God's word on the topic of tongues, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, give us understanding, for Lord, this is a great gift whether it's the gift given to Nehemiah's time where they understood the scriptures or the gift of our time where your Holy Spirit teaches us your word and brings it back to our memory. Lord, give us this gift to understand your word tonight that we might apply it to our hearts and lives and we might seek your face. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many years ago now, I attended a presbytery meeting. For those of you who might not be Presbyterian, a presbytery meeting is where all the pastors and uh, delegated elders from the churches of a particular region get together. And we get together not only to do other things like uh, missions or like planting churches or seeking to test those who might be ordained to ministry, but one of the most important things we do together is worship together. I remember one time a worship service at a presbytery where a pastor was preaching from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yes, you heard that right. He did not open his Bible. He preached directly from the confession, which is a man-made Yes, a summary of scriptural doctrine. Yes, even as I have vowed the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures, and yet it itself is not the Bible. It is not God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit. During that occasion, several men, including myself, felt that even though much of what was said was true and consistent with the Scripture, such a sermon was not edifying to the brothers because it was not from the word of God. You see, this is the heart of Paul's teaching about tongues. The question that he asks throughout this is, basically, is this gift and the use of this gift edifying or for the edification or the building up of the church? You see, that's what gifts from the Holy Spirit are for. They're not for us to look at ourselves and see how wonderful we are. They're not in order for us to feel superior over others. They're not even to show us a mark to distinguish us from the world. The purpose of these gifts is to build up the church. In Corinth, evidently, especially due to the length of this discussion that Paul gives to the Corinthian church, were struggling with the gift of tongues and evidently felt that this was one of the higher gifts that was to be sought above all else and were falling over each other to exhibit this particular gift. So what does the scripture teach? What does Paul teach in this particular discussion of tongues? 
First of all, we're going to look at several things he says, A through O, on your outline about one who speaks in tongues. Then we're going to look at the fact that Paul pretty clearly says prophecy is better. And then we'll come to some conclusions on tongues. First of all, one who speaks in tongues, and here is the A through O. First of all, he speaks to God and not men. In other words, this is not a gift that is necessarily or was necessarily to be used to teach and upbuild those who are in the church. It was, in essence, something that was to be exhibited in your relationship with God. Secondly, he says this, he utters mysteries in the spirit, but can't be understood. And of course, that's a problem, isn't it? If we can't understand somebody, that means we perhaps aren't getting the whole picture, the whole message. And that's one of the whole points that Paul is making in this particular section on tongues. Third, he builds up himself. Look at verse 4. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. In essence, he's saying this, on the one hand, tongues is a gift from God and properly used, it can edify and build up the church. But the common practice of tongues in the church at Corinth was not to build up the church, but to build up himself. In other words, look at me. Look at the gift that I have. Look at how marvelous this particular thing is. And so he's building up himself. Fourthly, without interpretation, one who speaks in tongues has a lesser gift than the gift of prophecy. Now, is it possible that there are some gifts that are more important than other gifts in the church? Now, of course, this answer is in part, God decided that all the gifts were important for the church. Now, this particular gift in the early church, Paul clearly says, is a lesser gift than prophecy. Prophecy is in a higher plane or higher level. Why? Because it was something that was convicting, something that was understandable and intelligible. In fact, he says that one who speaks in tongues it gives little benefit or profit alone. If you look there at verse 6, he says this, If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? In other words, he's saying just the exhibition of being able to speak in another language, the gift of tongues, without teaching or revelation of some sort alone that gift bears no value but it would be a benefit with accompaniment by these other gifts then your letter f it can be comparable he says to indistinguishable notes now too bad we don't have jim heffernan here to tell us what indistinguishable notes would be in music this has to do with the flute or the harp, or even the bugle. And of course, indistinguishable notes in a music piece makes, makes the music piece a mess, doesn't it? We don't see the movement in the piece. We don't see the beauty of the piece. We don't see anything like that in indistinguishable notes. And of course, if this is the case when it comes to a bugle call, what is the bugle or the trumpet for? 
It is to show what kind of response you should have to the battlefield. If you can't distinguish the notes, you don't know what to do, and the whole, the whole army is put in danger. And here is the same danger in tongues, he says. It can be compared in this way. In essence, that it is able, it gives you the inability to be able to distinguish the commands and word of God. All you get is noise. Your letter G, when unintelligible, verse 9, it is like speaking to the air. It's like just speaking for no purpose or no reason. In Sunday school this morning, Jim Heffernan reminded us that in old English tunes, they often use the nonsense syllables fa-la-la or no-ni-no-ni-no. And in essence, again, that is what is being described here. It's like speaking in the air with nonsense words. Your letter H, without understanding, speaking in tongues, is a barbarian to hearers. This is the word that's used here in the Greek. It says that the hearer is a barbarian to the speaker, and a speaker is a barbarian to the hearer. And if you knew what they meant by barbarians, you know that they meant this is lower than even the Greeks would be to the Jews. These are those who can't understand one another, don't have anything to do with one another, and their culture and their way of life is foreign to them. And so the speaker is a barbarian or a foreigner to the hearer. Letter I in verse 13, we read this, Therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. One who speaks in tongues should pray for the power to interpret or translate his gift of tongues. I have to say, just being in a country where I was preaching to a people that spoke another language, I wouldn't have agreed to do it if there wasn't an interpreter. Because it would have been nonsense to those who did not know English. And so it is, if you have the gift of tongues, if there's no interpreter, then you should pray that you would be able to interpret for this gift. The next one, letter J, verse 14, praying in the spirit. Here it says this, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. While praying, you may have an unfruitful mind. In other words, Paul is saying this, That in order for a gift to be building up the church, there must be some content to it that is understandable and plays in order to instruct the mind of the person. This day and age, of course, what happens in society is we tend to think if you are really spiritual, you have a clear mind and you can can clear it and basically think on nothing, but that is so anti-scriptural. In order to understand what it means to be spiritual, constantly we are told to think upon and meditate upon the word of God. And in order to pray in the spirit, we should pray with both our spirit and our mind. Your letter K, continuing on the theme of verse 14, it says this, It would be better to pray and praise with both the spirit and the mind, not one or the other. Verse 16, otherwise, will, uh, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Without understanding, people cannot say amen. 
you cannot attain an amen from others if they don't understand what you're talking about. Now, this is kind of a joke here in some churches where amens are very common. Unfortunately, our church is not one of those churches. I think sometimes we don't say amen enough. But in some churches, amen is used so often and so frequently that perhaps they don't even understand what's being said and they might even amen something which is not true or consistent with scripture. Here it's the same thing. Without understanding, people truly understanding what is being thanks, uh, given thanks for in prayer, they can say amen. But if someone prays in a tongue where they cannot understand it, then they should not be saying amen or truly, truly, or confirming what has been said is what amen does. Letter M says this, with 10,000 words, the word here is the word we get myriad, a myriad of words of a tongue is lesser than five words of instruction. Here's what Paul says. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he says, I would rather in church, I would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in a language that cannot be understood. That's how important it is that we speak in a way that will build up the church. Then we get down to verse 21 towards the end of our section of scripture. It says, in the law it is written, actually it's in the book of Isaiah it is written this, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. The Old Testament and Isaiah says this, this sign is for unbelievers. Now when he says that, You would think that he's saying this sign is then for those that would come into the church from outside and see that everybody was speaking in tongues and be amazed. But that's not how he says this. He says this is a sign for unbelievers among the people of God. This is the context of this passage. Isaiah is giving an indictment upon the people of Israel. He's basically saying, even if I send to you these individuals speaking in another language the things of God, you still will not listen to me. And therefore, Paul says, because of this, this particular sign is for unbelievers amongst the people of God. And then finally, in this section of our outline, signs will spur outsiders to say that you are mad. In other words, here it is. If therefore, verse 23, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, this might be the dream idea or atmosphere of many in the Corinthian church who are emphasizing this gift of tongues. They thought this would be the ideal situation that everyone had this gift and was doing it. And he says if people from outside come in, all they're going to see is madness disorder and have no clue what is going on in that situation. Now what do we do about all this teaching of speaking in tongues? Some of the basic things that he's talking about here, it must be understandable in order to be edifying. There should be an interpreter. It is a gift that is sometimes used in such a way to build up not the church but oneself. And it often does not include the mind. It is something that is only from the spirit. And he says, even prophecy, prophecy is a much better gift. What do we get from all this? 
Well, I tend to think it's like this. My children, I think one of their greatest fears would be that we would drag them to an Italian opera. Now, if you know anything about my kids, they don't like opera music. In fact, my daughter hates organs. She doesn't like to go to churches that the organ is prominent in. And they don't like operatic music, particularly where the singer is using the vibrato on their voice. And in operas, you know, that's what they do. Not only that, but if they went to an Italian opera, they wouldn't understand a single thing they're singing about. And the message of the opera, even though you might see them in fancy costumes and you might see them doing different things on the stage and the performance, you really don't get the message if you can't understand the words. They would basically come away feeling as if the whole experience was an act of madness. This is the experience of those who come into a church in which languages that nobody knows or that are not interpreted can come in to experience. An experience of madness and unintelligibility neither helps nor builds up the church of God, either for believers or for unbelievers. It is merely a sign, a sign that was given in one sense to show that God's work in the world was coming through the church in the period of the Acts of the Apostles. But now, it is much different. In fact, Paul says, even in those days when that sign was prominent, prophecy was better. Here are some of the things that he says about prophecy. Just a short list, A through F. Six things. First of all, he says that prophecy speaks for the edification and the encouragement and consolation of the church. This is verse 3. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In other words, prophecy is something that reveals to them intelligible words to build them up and remind them of the promises of God and to console them in times of difficulty. He continues in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. It builds up or edifies the church. In other words, the content that is described in a prophecy is one that is encouraging to the church, is one that is consoling to the church, is one that is edifying for the church. And he says very clearly in verse 5, it is a greater gift than tongues alone. So what is the church told to do in prophecy? That's verse 12. It says this, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. The church is told to excel in gifts that edify. Now this is interesting. How do you excel in a gift given by God? Well, You continue to read his scripture, you continue to obey his word, and you continue to focus on your love for Christ and your love for the church. And then you practice those gifts. Even today, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of administration, the gifts of helps, those things that build up or edify the church, we are to practice and we are to do so in the context of understanding God's word. And of course, unlike tongues, then it is a prophecy or it is a sign for believers. Why is it a sign for believers? It's because of this. If you send prophecies out to the world, they're not going to believe them. 
He sent prophecies out to God's people, and by faith they believe that God's word is true. And so these prophecies are meant to bring people back in repentance in their relationship with God. They're to remind us that God's promises are true and that God will indeed continue to work as he has done in the lives of the church. It is a sign for believers. But what does it do with unbelievers? Prophecy does something else very important to unbelievers. Whereas tongues, what tongues do when unbelievers come in and they hear these tongues without interpretation, then these particular tongues are described as madness by the unbelievers unless they're accompanied by interpretation, which is much like prophecy or revelation. But prophecy itself can convict unbelievers. Look at verses 24 and 25. If all prophecy, an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. This is the word that describes what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see your sin, you're convicted of it, and thus you turn to God in faith and repent of your sins, seeking his forgiving grace. Imagine, prophecy can do this. Not only this, but he is called to account by all. In other words, when prophecy is given, prophecy that truly is from God, that prophecy that convicts and points them to the gospel holds them to account. In other words, it's saying that basically, if someone prophesies, then they have no excuse because they've heard the very word of God. Finally, it says this, The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, it spurs them to worship. This is the wonderful thing about prophecy. Tongues, as you're trying to figure out what's being said and you don't hear it, you don't know what to do. But when it comes to prophecy, the word of God that calls people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ... This will convict them and cause them to fall upon their knees and worship God, declaring that God is really among the church. Now, you know, people argue about things in the church. There are debates all over denominations, even within our own denomination, about what worship really is and how to do it. What kind of music should we play? What kind of order of worship should we have? But in one sense, all services have some sort of call to worship. Our church uses scripture, often from the Psalms or sometimes from the New Testament or other places in scripture which call us to worship God. If you're in another church that doesn't do that, they often do this by music. They say, come sing with us, and they will sing praises to God. It's a certain call to worship. In essence, they're saying, now it's time with music or prayer or the word of God or something, come together and worship him. We see the point of the content gifts, gifts of tongues and prophecy, gifts of healing and other things like that. These gifts were to convict people of sin, call them to faith, and remind them to worship God. In this sense, he says here, prophecy is better because it's understandable and the people are exposed before a holy God. With tongues, it is unintelligible. We cannot understand it. 
So what is the conclusion about tongues that Paul makes? First of all, tongues in the New Testament seem to be intelligible languages, but they need interpretation or translation. Tongues are unprofitable without interpretation. If there is no interpretation in a church service for someone who's speaking in tongues, even if you are a church that believes those, that particular gift continues, if there's no interpreter, it should not be exercised. Tongues are not a higher or more impressive gift. There is some teaching in the church that suggests that those who speak in tongues now have the evidence to show that they're a believer, whereas if they had other gifts, there is no evidence. That is not a teaching of scripture. It is not a higher or more impressive gift. In fact, Paul makes it clear the gift of prophecy was even better than the gift of tongues. But finally, tongues do not benefit the church alone. If all you have to offer is the gift of tongues, you have nothing to offer the church without the gift of interpretation or the other gifts. Now, this doesn't even address the fact that chapter 13 has just told us that there was a prophecy that Paul was giving that the gift of tongues and prophecies will cease. And according to all historical records, we seem to be able to indicate that these gifts did in fact cease at the conclusion of the book of Acts. Not to be done again in the context of the early church, not mentioned by John, James, Jude, Peter, or even the others in in the New Testament. In fact, now, this particular gift has passed away because the perfect had come. They now had conclusive and clear teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we needed no new revelation. You see, Paul declares that the gift of tongues was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of indictment upon Israel. It was a sign for unbelievers, the rebellious people of God within the assembly. It was in one part to bring them to repentance. It was on the other part to show that God's judgment is evident. Because people from other tongues and languages came and proclaimed to them the marvelous works of the kingdom of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was to both bring the Jewish people back to faith in Christ and to remind them if they did not believe in Christ, judgment would come. But now, the clear word of God gives us all the necessary truth revealed to us about Jesus Christ and salvation that we need. These gifts were important in the early church. They were revelation. They were revelatory. And when these gifts were expressed, they were on par with the very word of God because they were from the Holy Spirit. But now we have God's word. The canon is complete. In these last days, God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, and the news is great. Though you are a sinner in desperate need of God's grace, he has provided a savior to you in Jesus Christ. No matter what language you speak, whether you speak Latvian or Russian, where I have been around the world, across the world, whether you speak Spanish or other languages that are so prevalent here in our country and territory, whether you speak English or whatever it might be, whatever language you speak, the gospel is still for you. God has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. This gospel is clearly consoling, exhorting, and uplifting 
because it reminds us that God has loved his people with an undying love. Focus on the word of God and the teaching of it. Therefore, understand God's grace. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this teaching of your word, in some ways hard to apply to our current context, but in other ways a reminder that the content of the gospel is clear. As the theologians say, your word is perspicuous. It is clear and understandable in the things that we need to know about sin and salvation. Point us to Jesus, even through this teaching. We pray these things in his name.